Welcome in to Locked On Knicks. Alex Wolf here going solo today to break down candidates to fill the Knicks hole at backup power forward. Could the recently released Rudy Gay still give the Knicks enough in the tank to make an impact? Could they go with Jermichael Green, a tried-and-true veteran who can stretch the floor? Or is it worth potentially kicking the tires on Markeith Morris or Blake Griffin to veteran options? I'll talk about it next on Locked On Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks. Your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And I think we see Willis coming out. There he comes. Right now. Starts without a five. Ewing for the win. Yes. Up, up, up. Now fires it. He's good. And he's fouled. And he's Anthony for three. All right, welcome in to Locked On Knicks, and I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Knicks your first listen today and every day, whether you're checking us out on your favorite podcast platform or taking in the sights and sounds on YouTube. We appreciate you making us part of your daily routine. Make sure to hit that notification bell on YouTube or the auto-download function on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. I'm Alex Wolf. I'm editor-in-chief of Nick's site, The Strickland, which you can find at strict.land. And if you want to talk to Gavin and I, even outside of the show, be sure to check out Subtext. It's a new thing we're part of. You can talk to us all the time, potentially. Uh, so check out the show notes for details on that. But for now, I got to start the conversation before we can continue the conversation, right? And I want to start by talking about Rudy Gay, who I think is an interesting guy to potentially fill the hole that the Knicks have in lieu of trading Obi Toppin. Now, uh, I've seen a lot of people being like, no, just play RJ and Josh Hart at the fort. Look, I understand that that seems fun on paper and maybe it would even work. But I think that based off who the coach is and everything else, they're going to want another player to back up that four spot. It's also always a good idea to have some depth. Like even if, you know, some of these guys I'm about to mention, you maybe wouldn't even necessarily have to make any sort of guarantees to about playing time or anything like that. So, you know, it's sort of a low risk proposition to bring someone in to be there potentially to stop up 10, 15 minutes behind Julius Randle or none if your younger, better players are playing better, but also to have someone that can just kind of give you that size that you need and potentially some shooting, which I'll get into right now. So Rudy Gay. First guy just got released, uh, so he is now a free agent, so very timely. Uh, and he's headed into his 18th NBA season and has played about 15 to 20 minutes off the bench for the last, like, four seasons or so. Uh, last year was pretty rough. He only slashed uh, 38% from the field, 25.5% from three, and 85.7% from the line. But he's a career 34.5% three-point shooter, including some seasons where he shot closer to 40% in his career. Despite the drop-off last year with shooting, he hasn't been a negative on-off player either for the last five seasons and only once in the last 11. So this is, of course, uh, judging when a player is on the court versus off the court, how his team performs. And in the case of Rudy Gay, his team almost universally performs better with him on the floor than off. And that's mostly been with him with bench units the last number of years, which is a good sign. You know, you want a guy, particularly joining a Knicks bench that is one of the best in the league. You would want another guy that can, you know, join that bench and and put up some really solid production. 
which Gay has a proven track record of doing. Uh, he's also spent most of his time at the four for the last like six years or so. And this is a uh, basketballreference.com has a, a really handy tool where they, they track what, you know, it's an estimate, but like roughly what play, what position nominally uh, each player on the court plays uh, for any given game and like the percentages uh, of that for over the course of the whole season. So he's actually spent most of his time at the four and even some time at the five over the last few seasons. Uh, so I doubt that if he would come to the Knicks that he would be treated as a five. I think it would unfortunately be more likely that he would be treated as a three uh, by Tibbs. Tibbs would be like, oh, let's reclaim his glory days and throw him back out there as a wing. He's just a big wing. That's it. Uh, but hopefully he would spend pretty much all of his time at the four uh, with the Knicks. And he's he's done pretty well in that role. I mean, he's he's pretty big. He's always been, you know, when he came into the league, he was sized like a wing. You know, he was sized like, I think Rudy Gay is like 6'8", 6'9", something like that. Has a pretty solid wingspan. So, you know, at the time that was sort of like, oh, that's the size of like, you know, Kevin Durant or or LeBron James or whatever. And that those guys were all considered to be threes in the NBA. Uh, now at this point, he's sized more like four. You know, he's kind of, he's beefed up later in his career. He's definitely like uh, more sturdy than he used to be when he was, he was a lot thinner uh, earlier on in his career. So, you know, I think that he has a lot to offer as far as that's concerned. He's also become a, a really good defender with age too, especially because, you know, he kind of came up being a, a wing and now is guarding mostly fours and sometimes fives. And I think that he's even into his later years of his career, but he don't take advantage of the fact that, you know, he was always a faster player as a wing and now as a big can sort of, you know, use that to his advantage as far as, as guarding uh, some of these, these, you know, slightly slower four men out there in the NBA. Uh, I also think that he brings sort of a veteran presence to the the Knicks that they're losing a bit of. I mean, I know there's been all this drama this week of Evan Fournier and, you know, Derek Rose and whatever. Fournier had that, like, extremely scathing interview with, like, the French website or whatever uh, that he was talking to that got translated where he was like, Evan or uh, Derek Rose and I were like, staring at each other being like, what are we even doing here when we were like not playing and all this other stuff, you know, whatever, but they were good vets throughout the year. And, you know, Rose was, you know, every bit the professional. So was Fournier, you know, they were, they put on a happy face and said all the right things to the media during the season. And, you know, kind of just did what was required of them, you know, as far as mentorship and stuff like that. But the Knicks are losing that. They already don't have Derek Rose anymore. Fournier most likely will be out one way or another, Actually, in tomorrow's episode, I'll break down a couple guys that maybe the Knicks could trade Fournier for in a sign-in trade. Um, but, you know, they're, they're going to be missing some veteran presence. So I think that bringing on a guy like a Rudy Gay, who, you know, again, going into his 18th season would probably have minimal expectations for minutes and stuff like that uh, could be a good idea, you know. And uh, mostly uh, you just – it's again, it's minimal commitment. You know, he's – at the end of his career, he's – probably only going to sign for the veterans minimum wherever he goes, especially because he just got a buyout as well. So like, you know, that, that usually means that the player says, all right, well, I already made my money for like this whole season. So I could just sign for the minimum and play exactly where I want to play and get, you know, decent time. And gay at this point probably wants to play for a, a winning team. The Knicks do project to be that again, no matter what, you know, I, I think that this is a winning roster and he'll probably look at that and say, you know what, let's, let's give this a shot. At least I hope so, because um, I think that he would be a really good signing for the Knicks and and a great like 
low risk, potential high reward signing. If he can reclaim his form, even from like two seasons ago, uh, he was, he was shooting much better from three, like two seasons ago uh, for Utah and just kind of had a down year this year. I'm sure. It was kind of weird. It was like a transitional year for Utah and all that. So we'll see how it goes, but my hope certainly is that is that the Knicks do sign him because I think that he would make a really, really good addition. Uh, another guy that I've been kind of singing the praises of, but I want to make a little better case for in just a second here is Jermichael Green, uh, who I think could be a really great signing for the Knicks, as well as Markeith Morris and Blake Griffin uh, a little later on the show. But real quick, I do just have to let you all know that today's show is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. And you can take your first swing at betting MLB on FanDuel and get 10 times your first bet amount in bonus bets up to $200. That's right. Just bet 20 bucks and you'll land $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. That's 200 You can spend betting everything from the money line to the over-under to who you think is going to get the first home run. All on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Plus, when you win, you can get paid instantly. There's no better place to bet on MLB than FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. I think their season's probably pretty lost at this point, but you know what? They're playing slightly better. I actually got to see two Mets wins in a row at City Field. Feeling pretty good about them. So maybe bet on uh bet on a Francisco Alvarez home run. Maybe that that seems like a good bet right now. So maybe maybe that's a good thing if you're a Mets fan. So sign up today and visit fanduel.com slash locked on to get up to two hundred dollars in bonus bets. That's fanduel.com slash locked on. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. All right, and I'm back in to continue talking about power forward candidates for the Knicks to target. Uh, And, you know, again, I I think that the role that Obi Toppin filled for them this past season and in the past couple seasons has mostly been that of a, uh, like a floor spacer. You know, as much as it's, it felt like sort of a waste of his talents in many ways. Like, I think that a lot of what they just wanted out of him was like, can you shoot some threes from the corner? And can you play good enough defense, you know, on the other end and, you know, like rebound pretty well. And I think that was more or less what they've been looking for uh, from that spot based off how they were typecasting Obi. If that's the case, I think Jermichael Green makes a pretty good candidate to be on the Knicks. Uh, I've been beating this drum for a few weeks, but I feel really good about potentially going after Jermichael Green. He's He's a veteran. You know, he's been around for a long time. He's played much more significant roles at different points in his career. Um, you know, where he's been a starter, where he's been more of a high minutes guy, where he's, you know, been relied on to score more points or whatever. But now at this stage in his career, I believe he's 33, has just sort of settled into being a good role player, uh, you know, hitting threes, you know, and and just in general being sort of a modern four. They could hit threes, rebound the ball and, you know, hopefully defend well enough to, you know, not be a negative on that end. It, he hasn't really been signed for like huge sums of money lately either. Um but if, if it really came down to it, the Knicks could use the biannual exception to sign him. Uh, they have that available to them. I think it's worth like $4.2 million. So could potentially go that route. But I feel like more than likely could probably get him for the veterans minimum. Uh, and, and if that's the case, I think that's perfectly fine value for a guy that is a career 37% three-point shooter. And that's not on like no volume. Like he, you have to take it with a grain of salt because it's like, you know, small samples because of the fact that he's only like a 15, 20 minute per game player. But, you know, he, when you have an entire career where you've shot about 37%, I think 
you can throw the small sample thing and small volume thing out the window. Like, I don't think that he's like Hartenstein where it's like last year we talked ourselves in ourselves into him potentially being a shooter on like, Oh, he shot 35% from three this year on one and a half attempts per game. Maybe he'll do that again next year. And then of course he wasn't trusted to do that and he didn't do it. Jermichael green, at least even if he only takes like around two attempts per game because of his playing time, he makes 37% of them consistently throughout his career. So that that's really solid. Um, he's also been in the backup role for about the last five seasons. And I feel like he's kind of settled into that role and is, is really playing it quite well. And he's never averaged less than nine rebounds per 36 in his career. And he's a pretty good offensive rebounder as well, which are two traits that I think the Tibbs would really like, uh, you know, the, the Knicks obviously aren't going to be like hurting for offensive rebounding and rebounding in general. You replace Mitch with Hartenstein who was like, an actual like one man wrecking crew at different times during the playoffs. Um, you know, so, and so was Mitch. I mean, both of them had their moments in the Cleveland and Miami series where they just absolutely annihilated on the glass. And so, you know, that you have those guys to, to gobble up boards already, but having another good rebounder out there, not necessarily a bad thing. And especially if it's a guy that can shoot too, you know, you get a guy that can go in there, get the rebound. And maybe if he's not the best at the rim, he could still at least get the ball out to someone else to reset the action, find himself back in the corner, and then maybe make a corner three or something. Uh, so I, I like that potential role for, for Jermichael Green. On defense, I'd be lying if I said I've watched so much of him to know for sure. But there is some concerning numbers uh, that he's not the biggest plus when it comes to like plus-minus numbers. Now, he was a pretty large minus on the Warriors this past year, but... I'm kind of willing to chalk that up to the fact that everyone but the starters on Golden State, every, actually, I should say, because I looked this stat up recently uh, when I was doing a DiVincenzo show, everyone but the starters and Dante DiVincenzo are uh, pretty big negatives on the Warriors because just like the starters are so good there that it makes everybody else look bad. <laughs> and honestly, the bench just was not phenomenal, I guess, as a whole unit. In Golden State this past year. Other years, it's been less stark. Like, I think his, I think he touched around like almost a minus 10 with Golden State this year, which you don't love. But most other years, he hovers around at least breaking even, which I feel like is about all you can ask out of your bench. And if you insert him instead of on one of the lesser benches in the league, you know, that, that really struggled, if you take him and then put him on one of the best benches in the league that the Knicks have, then maybe you know, that that helps that a bit because those numbers are kind of context dependent. Like, yes, on off is important to show how a team does with a guy on versus off the court. But if he's sharing all of his minutes with a lesser group and not really playing too much with the better players on the team, then it can sort of skew those numbers a bit because he's only playing with the lesser players. So um, I'm not too worried about that just based off the fact that I think that skill set wise, he fits in kind of perfect. Um, he also played 78% of his minutes at the five last year in Golden State. So however unlikely it may be that he would end up getting that same role with the Knicks uh, and getting to play the center under Tibbs, it, that possibility at least exists. Uh, so, you know, maybe something worth looking into uh, if the Knicks could maybe finally go small a little bit. That's going to be a bit of a theme in the next episode for sure because I'm going to talk about a couple guys that have a lot of experience at the five that could potentially make Randall and and them you know be an option but they're they're a little more high money options I'll just spoil it's PJ Washington Christian Wood I'm going to talk about in the next episode after this tomorrow so 
you know, keep your ears out for that. But, you know, I would love to bring a player onto the Knicks that could potentially play small ball five finally, because I think this team really needs it and really needs to have a, a five out look in their back pocket just in case they need it during the playoffs. So Jermichael Green can maybe give them that. Uh, but I want to talk about a couple of retread guys. I'm not generally a huge fan of this sort of strategy as far as team building, but you know what? If if it's just if all it costs is veterans minimum and you know these guys can produce, then so be it. You know, if they're good veteran presence as well. Markeith Morris and Blake Griffin, I decided to lump them together since they're sort of in a similar place in their careers. I'll talk about them in just a sec to close the show. All right, and I'm back in talking Markeith Morris and Blake Griffin. Let's go. Let's just first get this out of the way. I'm not totally sold on the idea of bringing either of these guys in. Uh, they both are clearly at the end of their careers. Markeith Morris couldn't really stick around anywhere last year. He was he was with Brooklyn. I believe he got bought out uh, about halfway through the season. I'm pretty sure that was at his request, like once everything went down with, uh, with Katie and Kyrie. I got to admit, I did not look that up because it wasn't that important to me. Uh, but then he signed with Dallas, had a very meh uh, showing with Dallas, although Dallas in general down the stretch of last year, as we saw when they uh, tanked their way back into their own draft pick at the end of the year. You know, it was, it was kind of a uh, kind of a messy situation all around there. So maybe maybe not to blame Marquis for that. But he played 35 games between Brooklyn and Dallas last year. And I feel like it's been a pretty mixed bag for him in recent years. He's. He fluctuates between being a positive presence on the court and a negative presence based off his on-off numbers. And, you know, again, I know that's not the catch-all for everything, but, um, you know, I, I think it's pretty safe to say when you watch him at this stage in his career that it's sort of, you know, he doesn't necessarily look as spry as he once was. He doesn't look like I, – I mean, I haven't really watched Marcus Morris that much lately, but I understand that he's not doing quite as well these days either, so – you know, I think they're both of them are kind of just reaching the point of their career where, you know, like most players, when you hit your, you know, early to mid thirties, you know, things start to fall off from your game a little bit. So I, I think he's kind of there, but he can sort of stretch the floor and is a pretty solid rebounder again, you know, so sort of similar to Jermichael Green. I think I would prefer Jermichael Green just because Markeith has had, you know, there's always been this kind of cloud that follows him where it seems like he's had some problems with teammates and stuff like that in the past at times so the other guys have vouched for him too and said, you know what, he's, he's a fine teammate and whatever. Um, and it's been a while since those sort of issues came up. So maybe that's sort of water under the bridge at this point, but I feel like between him and Jermichael green, I feel like they offer a very similar in theory thing to a team, which is like floor spacing, rebounding, hopefully good enough defense at this point in their careers. And that's more or less it. Um, I just think based off the fact that Jermichael green seems like, I, I don't know what, a more in-demand player the last few years that maybe there's something to that. Also the durability, you know, I think he's like slightly more durable um, than Markeith Morris at this point as well. So those factors are probably swaying me that direction. That said, if Jermichael Green is like, well, I want like the biannual exception and Markeith Morris is like, well, I'll just take the veterans minimum. I think I would probably just do the veterans minimum because you can save that biannual exception. If you don't use it this year, you can use it next year. Uh, so I think that would probably be my, strategy as far as a Markeith Morris not super sold on it but he is an option uh and then Blake Griffin I think I'm actually a little more in on uh he's he's really kind of a he's he's having sort of like a Vince Carter career arc at this point where you know he went from being a legitimate superstar that a lot of people talked about potentially as being a top 10 player 
and everything else for like certain stages of his career to he's, he's sort of, I mean, injuries are one thing and that's probably the biggest thing that gives me pause about potentially signing him. But I mean, he's sort of found this, this nice place for himself late in his career where he's, you know, a, a role player that can sort of shoot a little bit. His knees are kind of failing him at this point, but you know, so he doesn't have that like crazy athleticism anymore, but he's always been a good passer and developed a shot uh, around the Detroit time of his career. And I don't know. I, I'm kind of about the idea of potentially bringing him on if he's, if he's interested, like last year he had a, a plus two on off. Uh, so, you know, made the Celtics two points better. And that's pretty significant. Cause that's, that's a playoff team. Like that's a good team with a good starting lineup. And he came in off the bench and still managed to make a positive impact. Played most of his minutes as a nominal center last year, actually probably would be more of a power forward for the Knicks naturally, but I don't know. Again, kind of cool. Another guy that's sort of, uh, turned into more of a center late in his career. Maybe a guy that gives you the option to potentially throw him out there with Julius Randle for a few minutes a game and play a little differently than you can with a Hartenstein or with a Mitchell Robinson. Um, he played 41 games last year, which, you know, that's a concern, obviously, that there's a decent chance you might only get like half a season out of him, which does not necessarily jive with Tibbs. But if you're of the camp that says, you know, they should be playing more RJ or Hart at the four, then that's great. You know, that means that he's just there's just going to be a built-in reason to play those guys at the four more often if you have Blake Griffin. But, you know, you could at least have another option available if he is healthy, um, you know, either to play some five minutes or to certainly back up Julius Randle. Um, and I, I think that, you know, having him do sort of uh, play a sort of similar hub role to Randle, you know, like from like the elbow could be a decent idea too. I doubt he's going to draw doubles and stuff, but he is at least a good passer. So if there's like a cutter coming and he's, you know, sitting up there at the elbow, I think he could probably hit a cutting Josh Hart, for example, uh, and make that pass and make it look pretty good. So I, I like Griffin in, in that respect. And he, he only played like 15 minutes a game on a good team last year too. So clearly the expectations aren't super high for him at this point. He also seems very easygoing, uh, pretty easy to get along with and would make a pretty good veteran presence. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I'm potentially in on it. So if I was going to rank these three options that I presented in this show, uh, Rudy Gay, I'm going to place the likelihood of medium high. I think the cost and the skill set line up well for the Knicks. Uh, you know, low cost, high reward potentially. Uh, as far as a fit, I would give him probably like a B, potentially an A. I mean, I know that maybe that's hyperbole, but for the role that the Knicks would need him to play, like if his shooting recovers and he can stay somewhat healthy and play good defense, like that's potentially an A. And that's like exactly what they need. It's just a floor spacer, veteran presence that can kind of do all the little things that you need. Like basically do what you want Obi Toppin to do, but just sort of a more focused version of it. Uh, and hopefully with a little better consistency from three. Maybe Gay can give that to you. Jermichael Green, I'd also say pretty similar, like likelihood medium high. I think the cost and the skill set should line up pretty well, you know, if they would be able to get him for around like a veterans minimum. Um, as far as a fit, I'll give him like a B. I think, you know, maybe need a little more on the defensive end from him, but for a 10 to 15 minute game guy who can shoot, you know, he definitely can shoot. I, I think that would be a great fit for the Knicks because that's just kind of what they want out of that spot. And then as far as uh, Blake and Markeith, I would say a medium likelihood. 
seems like I don't know the Knicks seem to be sort of staying away from those sort of like late career retread guys after the whole Kemba debacle and maybe don't want to get in the business of bringing in another like oft injured older player again so maybe that holds it back I would give both those guys probably like a C plus I think there's various concerns that come with signing late career players there's the decent chance that they and I I mean I I should mention this is the is is a potential thing for Rudy Gay and Jermichael Green. They're just not showing it quite as much at this point in their careers. But you, it could always be that you sign the guy on the year that his career just completely combusts and he's done, and that's sort of the risk of it all. So I think that's the main thing uh, with those two that that sort of worry me a little bit. Um, and they have durability issues more so than the other two for sure, which I think is the biggest thing that worries me. So put them at like a medium and like a C plus as far as a fit. But let me know what you guys think in the comments. If you're on YouTube, you know, if you agree, disagree and uh, get ready, because again, I have a show coming up tomorrow where I'm going to talk about PJ Washington, Christian Wood and Derek Jones Jr. A name I haven't brought up yet. Uh, three other potential backup power forwards the Knicks could bring in. But until then, thank you for listening to this first part and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Peace out everybody.